About 20 years ago, Rachel, Jessica, and I made a special trip back to Texas. Two of the very most important people in my life had come to a milestone. Fred and Jean Nance, my dad and my mom, were celebrating their 50th anniversary. The whole family was able to gather together, and it was a special time to celebrate. But my dad, being, uh, being who he was, uh, basically nixed the idea of a wedding renewal as unnecessary. All of the kids were asking, and, and Mom had, uh, had wondered, but Dad was saying, basically, you know, I said 50 years ago, I still mean it, you know, that kind of thing. You guys, a lot of you know that. Well, after we got there, it became very clear the mom loved the idea of a renewal. And so, with a little bit of coaxing from his kids, as we pulled him aside, Dad agreed. Later on, he admitted that he was wrong. And that didn't happen a whole lot with my father throughout my life, but he did admit it. He had no idea how meaningful that act could be. And so... When he said yes, I very quickly put together a marriage renewal ceremony. And it was wonderful. Uh, my mom and dad were together for many, many years, loved each other very deeply. And as I looked at them, I w remembered pictures of them when they first made those vows. And they were beaming and grins were on their face. And they were so full of joy, and all of us were okay, and several of the families started getting teary-eyed, tears of joy, and all that. Because it was a very special time. Dad didn't, Dad didn't understand how special it was going to be. See, there's something very powerful about revisiting promises made and received in our lives. And it is especially powerful when the one who made the promise was God himself. And in today's text, we will see a time when God renewed his promise to Abram. And in doing so, revealed a little bit more about that promise. So please stand as we look at this morning's text and this promise that is renewed in Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abram said, O oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside, said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
In this wonderful passage, God Almighty gave to Abram assurance. Assurance of a renewed promise. And Abram did believe, even though there was a struggle at first, he comes to the place of saying, yes, I believe you, God. Like Abram, there are times in our lives we need reassurance. There are times we need that word from God that will help us hold on and keep moving forward. To find such reassurance, we often need to remember the promises of God toward us. So today we're going to look at examples. Examples of the kind of time in our lives when we need to focus on the promises of God. From the very beginning, I want to, there are times you may not ever have stood on a ledge like this looking down stories below, but aren't there times life kind of feels like that? We're right on the edge. I, I served a church back in Texas, and we didn't have wireless mics at this time, so my lavalier mic had a long cord to it. And I would come to the end of the altar, or the platform, and I would be preaching. And finally, one of my deacons had just couldn't handle it anymore. And he said, preacher, don't get that close to the edge. He goes, but at least we've got you tethered. To which I laughed and said, that tether will not hold. But I, when I'm preaching, I have a pretty good idea of where I'm at. Sometimes life feels like that. That we are about to fall off a precipice. We are going to come crashing to the ground. Bill and I were joking about gravity earlier in, before the service began and how both of us have noticed that gravity doesn't work in our favor much in a lot of things nowadays. At such moments, when it feels like we're about to fall, the promises of God are needed in times we are afraid. The promises of God are needed in times we're afraid. And I know we all want to say, I'm not afraid, and I'm never afraid. And if you say that, then you're not really being honest. At some point in your life, we all struggle. And when we look at our text, now keep in mind the context Abram, with 318 men of his own and a few from some other people, came and defeated four powerful kings, rescued Lot, got all the people back from Sodom. It was an amazing fight. Melchizedek said, God gave you this victory. It's right after that, God has to speak to Abram's heart. You see, Abram was facing an unexpected fear. He didn't realize what was going on. It was, he was afraid. How do I know that? Because God said, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. Now, how many times when you have been full of courage has anyone told you don't be afraid? No, people say don't be afraid when we're going to the doctor and we don't want to hear bad news. When, we, when we're about to have a, a splinter removed from our finger by our mom. Don't be afraid when test day suddenly appears and you forgot to study. Don't be afraid means you are afraid. So God calls upon him and tells him, don't be afraid. Now after this courageous rescue, why 
would Abram be afraid? He saw the hand of God move. He saw the victory that God brought. Melchizedek, the priest of God, said, God gave this to you, and now he is afraid. Well, there's a pretty good consensus among biblical scholars that Abram suddenly had time to think about what he had just done. Some of you may have been there at some point in your life. You've done something because, man, you knew it was a thing to do. And after you did it, you started wondering, now, what could be the ramifications of this? Maybe he was afraid that these kings would have a time of cooling down and then come back with even stronger forces. Maybe he was afraid they're going to make more allies and they're going to be unbeatable. God's response to Abraham's fear points to the apparent cause. This seems to be the cause. Because he says, I am your shield. Now the phrase is used several times in the Old Testament basically is a metaphor for the God who defends his people. We read in Psalm chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. Yeah, they're saying you're not going to help, but I know you're my shield. I know you're going to strengthen me. In Deuteronomy, Moses told his people in Deuteronomy 33:29, Blessed are you, O Israel, Who is like a people saved by the Lord? He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will trample down their high places. Israel's about to go into Canaan and Moses won't be going with them. But he says God will be. So we see this over and over again within the scripture, this image, God is our shield. So in the face of possible hostilities that Abram could could face, God is saying, trust me. Rest in me. Rest in the protection that I'm going to give you. Now, it would be very easy for us to sanctimoniously come down hard on Abram. He should have believed. But we need to remember, folks, in our own lives, Great victories can be followed by the fear of what happens next. We've had a spiritual victory. And praise the Lord, it's real and it's powerful. And we know that God has moved and God has helped us. But what else is going to be out there? I love the story of Elijah. One of my favorite passages to preach from comes out of the the story of Elijah when he faces down more than 400 false prophets. And he, one of the reasons I like Elijah, and the pastor shouldn't admit this, one of the reasons I like him, he's very sarcastic in that encounter. When the prophets of Baal aren't having any, he says, maybe you ought to cry a little louder. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Maybe he's doing that. Maybe he's fallen asleep. I love it. Maybe he's fine. I love it. And, and Elijah, when he prays, gets up there, Lord, show him who's God, and he runs. A friend of mine said he ran from the altar because he knew the fire was about to fall. 
But right after that, Elijah, we find him in the wilderness. God, why don't you go ahead and take me? I'm the only one left. He's full of fear. He's full of doubt. He's full of defeat. And God says, Elijah, I've got plenty of people. Don't be afraid. David, David who had killed Goliath in not that long period of time afterwards is running for his life. He's running because Saul wants him dead. And in Psalm 34.4 he says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. The battles of life continue. And when they do, sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're in pain. They can come after victory. But then we need to see the full story of Abram here. That last statement, Abram believed God. We need to hear, David, God has delivered me from my fears. Our hearts need to be turned to God's promises when they are filled with fear. When life is getting so crazy and things are so out of hand and it looks like we have no hope, we need to remember the God who makes promise. In Joshua 1.9, just before the people of Israel do march into, into battle with Canaan and they have this long battles of fighting to gain the Holy Land, God comes to Joshua. Joshua 1, nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And folks, every one of us here in this room who are children of the living God have a very similar promise. We have a command and we have the promise that will help us not to be afraid. You know the passage well. Matthew 28, 19-20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our Lord says, I've got a task for you to do. And I know it's daunting. And I know the world would just as soon you sit down and never mention my name. But you go out and you live for me. And you shine for me. And know that every step of the journey I'm with you. Whatever you face in this life. You're not alone. I am with you. In times of fear, we can rest on the promises of God. Now, it's not just that. Sometimes life gets confusing in a different way. We feel like we're trapped in a maze. We've entered a pathway and we don't know which way to turn. I will admit, I've been stuck before. Not certain what to do, not certain where to go, not certain how I'm going to get out of this mess. And when that happens, when we are in the maze of life and we can't figure out The promises of God are needed in times we are doubting. Again, uh, and nobody in this room has ever told me this, so I don't have to be afraid of 
hurting someone's feelings, but I'm about to tell you something. Make sure you'll never tell it to me. When people come to me and say, I never doubt, I have two reactions. Now, I've told you before, I've never played a poker game in my life, but I've got a really good poker face. Because when someone says, I don't doubt, they don't know what I'm thinking inside. Because what I'm thinking inside, two possibilities. One, you are a liar. Two, you haven't been through the fire yet. Abram, when we look at this man, and we look at everything that's happening, let's be honest, Abram could not understand what God was doing. This is one more element of a struggle that needs Abram to hear God, don't be afraid, because Abram can't figure it out. God says, I will be your reward, and Abram's reaction is, what? Doesn't feel that way. Now, when he says, I will be your reward, Abram probably thought back to all the things God had said, that he would have many descendants, that he would be a blessed man, that his life and the life of his descendants would touch all of the world, that he was going to give him the land of Canaan. But Abram is clearly shaken by doubt in the face of the promise, and it comes down to this. Brother Alan was right. I don't have a child. And the last thing, you do not have to be an expert in medicine or even biology to know you can't have descendants if you don't have a child. And this, I don't understand. And, and notice he says, Eliezer, a servant of mine, is going to be my heir. And there are folks who have wondered, had Abram already begun or thinking about the practice of adopting Eliezer as his heir? Is this one example of many where Abram's going to try to help God out and make it come true? He's confused about what's going to happen. He is struggling to believe the promise simply because he couldn't see it happen. It hasn't happened yet. Now this difficulty of holding on to the promise of God will revisit Abram several different times. Some of the worst decisions he ever made in life came because he thought, I need to help God out in this. Still, look at God's reaction to Abram. He's calling his man in the face of doubt, don't be afraid. Because I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to make these promises true in your life. You need to trust me. Your story isn't finished yet. And the wonder of what's going to happen in your life hasn't even begun to be seen yet. There are so many wonderful things that are going to happen. You need to trust me. And he says, come here a minute. And he takes him outside. He says, look up at the sky. If you can count those stars, you could count your descendants. And you can't see 
more than a thousand, two thousand stars with the naked eye. He couldn't count a universe. God was saying to his child, don't give up on me. Don't let your doubt destroy your faith in what I can do. Now when it comes to us, folks, we desperately want a clear path when facing doubt. We sang a song, and this song is the goal. This song is the heart. Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Yes, God has promised he will give us a lighted path along the way. But every one of us face uncertainty in this world. We hold on to the promises of God. It keeps us praying. And we keep seeking God because we believe He is a rewarder of those who love Him and seek Him and trust in Him. But sometimes prayers seem to go unanswered. We don't see the result. It doesn't happen within a day or two. George Mueller, one of my favorite examples of faith in the history of humanity in the 19th century, ran a string of Christian uh, orphanages in London. He was a man of great prayer. He prayed for two of his friends for 65 years that they would be saved. 65 years he was faithful, never giving up. How often do we pray for somebody, for God to reach them, and then by two or three months we've forgotten them on our prayer list? 65 years. One of them was saved the year before Mueller died. The other was saved the year after. He never gave up. But prayers seem to go unanswered. Problems don't go away quickly. And we all feel a little bit guilty when, the pro- when we cause the problem, don't we? Asking God, can you get us out of this mess? But that's what happens with Abraham a lot. They don't go away. All of this leads to struggle and can cause doubt. God, why haven't we heard the answer? We want God to hurry up. We want Him to take care of the problem. We want Him to help us understand everything that's going on. The Word of God tells us we walk by faith, not by sight. It's not built on our intellectual understanding. It's built on trusting God. And our hearts need to be turned to God's promises when a clear path is not readily seen. When we don't have the answer the day after we pray. But God keeps saying, trust. Don't give up. Trust. The answer's coming. The Protestant reformer, John Calvin, said, distrust is cured by meditating upon the promises of God. I love that. The Word of God becomes our strength at this point. And we start looking at all the different things that God tells us about the way He does answer prayer, the way He loves His children, the way He will give us the path. If we trust Him, He will guide our paths. Max Lucado said, Clouds of doubt are created when the warm, moist air of our expectations meets the cold air of God's silence. The problem is not as much in God's silence as it is in your ability to hear. God is speaking into our lives all the time. But our eyes are so focused on the problem 
can't see the solution. When we find ourselves in times of struggle, when we need to focus on what God has already done, we need to remember He's brought us salvation. He's given us peace with Himself. Folks, we're not at war with God anymore. His love for us is unending. It doesn't change. Joy comes. The joy the world cannot understand. The joy that goes way beyond happiness. When we begin to rest that I am in the hands of God and while I don't understand what's happening or how it's going to end up, I know God has me. Job struggled with fear and doubt. And the, word, the book of Job says that he never sinned with, it, with his lips. But at one point, this is a paraphrase, but it's an accurate one. Job tells God, come down here, you've got some explaining to do. And God shows up. And if you know the book of Job, God starts hitting Job with question after question after question. Job never has His question answered. But his life was changed by the presence of God and being reminded that God is in control. So in Job 42.5, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Now I know you're here. Now I understand. So there are times when doubt comes. And we don't get through doubt by just saying, I will not doubt, I will not doubt. We get through doubt by looking to God's Word, reminding ourselves of what He's promised us in Jesus Christ, looking back at our lives and seeing all the different times He's touched and moved us according to His Word. And we say, God, like Abram, I want to believe you. I'm going to trust you. And then sometimes in life, it seems we have far more questions than answers. What in the world is going on? And when our lives are filled with questions, in those moments in time, the promises of God are needed in times we are searching for answers. When we've got questions, Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this text, I'm a little bit shocked at the way Abram answers God. This is the only place up to this point that Abram actually answers the voice of God that has come to him. And in this passage, Abram asks what seems to be an incredibly presumptuous question. When you look at it, listen, listen to the text. O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Do you catch what he's saying? That's why I want kind of trying to use some inflection. I wish we could have heard his voice. But I think Abram is saying, what can you possibly do for me? You keep telling me about descendants and you haven't given me a child. None of your promises 
about a child or descendants have come true. So God, what are you going to do? And this, I find a little bit shocking. Of all the things he could have said to God when God was giving him the word, his response is, what are you going to do for me? But before we get too shocked, did you notice God did not rebuke Abram at all for asking the question? God didn't say, what do you mean, what am I going to do for you? I've already given you land. I've given you victory in battle. I've saved your neck more than once. No, none of that happens here. No harsh words, no signs of shock from God that Abram dared to ask the question. Instead, an incredibly beautiful moment. Folks, if you have any doubt about God's overwhelming love for his children, if you have any doubt about the grace of God, look at the way God responds. Come here, Abram. I've got something to show you. Eliezer's not going to be your heir. You're going to give. You're going to have a son that's going to be born to you. And for right now, just come on and give a look. Now, in the passage that will follow this, we will find God giving a further demonstration of how real this promise is. We'll be looking at that covenant made with Abram next week as well as the covenant of, the, of what Christ did for us as we observe the Lord's Supper. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. But God doesn't say, look up at the stars and see how many of your descendants are going to be. God makes a covenant with Abram. God is saying, don't have to be worried that I'm going to back down from my promise to you, Abram. And folks, we need not fear asking questions of our Father. Now, I know it's not popular to suggest this. I've been told since I was a little Christian boy and a teenager and throughout my life, never question the Lord. You can never question the Lord. And then you know what happened? I read the book of Psalms. Did you know there are more psalms that say, God, why aren't you doing something? Than there are psalms that say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. Now, it's wonderful, all those psalms that God, why aren't you doing something? By the time of the end of the song, they're pretty much saying, praise the Lord, amen. Then I read the book of Job. One question after another. And the scripture affirms, Job did not sin with his lips. I have never told God, Come down, you've got some explaining to do. I don't have that kind of guts. <laughs> One, I don't want God to ask me all those questions. Then I read the book of Habakkuk. Remember when I preached through Habakkuk not too terribly long ago? One question after another. And God never rebuked Habakkuk for asking those questions. David Baker, 
It said Habakkuk the prophet teaches us that questioning God is acceptable. It is refusing to trust God that causes our downfall. Lord, what's happening? I don't understand. Can you give me some insight? Why haven't you? That's not the problem. The problem is when we allow that question to so cause our faith to lose sight of God completely that we give up. As humans, we simply will be filled with questions during the struggles of life. It It happens. When Rachel was diagnosed with cancer, my first reaction when I was alone with my God is, God, why her? And this may say many things about my own self-esteem, but my reaction was, God, I would understand if it were me, but why her? Life hits us, and sometimes the questions are real. But we need to learn, let those questions draw us to God. I don't understand what's happening, and I would really love you to answer these, but I'm going to throw myself upon you and just help me to keep trusting. We need to learn to trust Him in the face of our struggles. And our hearts need to turn to the promises of God that call us to seek Him. Now you know why our responsive reading was so focused on seeking the Lord. Because when we are filled with questions, folks, it's not just finding an answer to the immediate question. It's about learning to seek God in the time of the question. Learning to seek God in the time of the struggle. Instead of running away from God, we run to God. The passage we looked at are not promises that all of the questions of life will be answered, but they are promises that the God we seek will respond to us as we seek Him. So when I'm filled with doubt, what do I do? Well, I can and have been known to wallow in my self-pity. But that is not helpful. What do I do? I seek the Lord. I ask Him to help me Him, me trust Him in my weakness. I remember, I'm reminded of the Father who brought His Son to Jesus to have the demon cast out. And when the apostles couldn't do it, Jesus said, this only comes out by faith. And fasting, and he looked at the father and says, Do you believe I can help your son? Do you remember what the father said? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And God did, Jesus didn't say, Come back when you trust me completely. He honored the faith the father had. We need to learn to trust God. That ultimately, he will make himself known. And there are battles in my life that I don't know that I will ever have an answer for. Until when I stand before God Almighty. And all my questions are answered and I have this sneaky suspicion when I stand before God Almighty, all of my questions won't seem that important. I'll be with my Lord. Lord, teach me to trust you. Karl Barth. In an amazing statement of faith. Said in God alone is their faithfulness and faith in the trust that we may hold to him.
to his promise and to his guidance. To hold to God is to rely on the fact that God is there for me and to live in this certainty. Friends, he's here. No matter what the struggles of life are, no matter what the battles may be, he is here. And he's not leaving us. He will not desert us. We may not be able to feel his presence. But again, we walk by faith and not by sight. Whether we feel it or not, God is here. So today, in the times of your fear, in the times of your questions, in the times of your doubt, don't run from the God who loves you. Run to God. Embrace the many promises He's given us in His Scripture. And know that God will not fail. Run to God and pray that He gives you the power to trust Him. Ask God to give you, again, the assurance of His Word. Commit yourself into His loving hands. And this may be a time of struggle and question and doubt for you. If it is, right here, right now, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, will you open yourself up to God and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me trust you. Father, let me know that you are holding on to me and you're not about to let go. Let me know, holy God, that all of the promises you gave us in Jesus Christ are yes, are true, and will carry me in this time of struggle, in this time of pain.